we're going to get your children straightened out. <laughs> but to begin with this morning, we have something a little special. Ginger asked me if I was going to preach on parent-child relationship in this message on increasing your family, and I told her I was. And she said she had something that she wanted to share. So I'm going to have her to come just now, and I'm, you're going to have to speak into this microphone because I want it recorded. That way we can hold it against you if you don't say what's right. Come ahead, man. Um, I think most of us parents would agree that other than our relationship with Christ and our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children is is there. And um, it needs to be in that order for effective parenting. Right. It's, it's, it says so in the book. It's not me. Um, mothers especially, you know, have, have a special bond with their children. Um, this is a testimony of my best friend from when I was six years old all the way till today. Um, her daughter um, was about 30. She had three children, the youngest of which was three years old. Um, she had had melanoma, and um, the, the first round, everything was okay, but it, it came back, and typically it comes back with a vengeance. Um, Beth, her daughter, was a strong Christian, um, a, a, a woman of faith, uh, a woman of God, and, and she never wavered on that. Um, they were in Maryland at the cancer center um, as a last resort to see if something there could be done with her cancer to prolong her life. While they were there, um, the doctor called them into the room and um, told them there was nothing else that could be done for Beth and she would just need to go home and stay as comfortable as she could. My friend and her husband went to the waiting room to give uh, Beth and her husband some time. And um, there had been a girl that they had noticed in the, in the hall and in the waiting room, and she was always alone. They never saw anybody with her, regardless of the time of day or night, there was no one there. They, they had talked about, you know, wonder what her story is because it's unusual that nobody is with her. While they were in the waiting room um, trying to grasp, you know, the information the doctor had given them and, and grieving uh, over that, the young girl... Uh, walked past the waiting room. And then she came into the waiting room and sat down and was looking at a magazine. My friend went over to her and um, 
asked her if she knew Christ. The girl said, no, but I would like to. She led her in the sinner's prayer, and the young woman accepted Christ into her life. My friend said, wait here, I'll be back. She went to Beth's hospital bedside table and got out her Bible, Beth's Bible. Came back to the waiting room and said, do you have a Bible? And she said, no, this is all new to me. I wasn't brought up in, in church. She gave her her daughter's Bible and instructed her when she left the hospital to go to a church in her community. It doesn't matter what church you go to, but you're going to need a church family to help you through your struggles. That was the end of the story. Uh, Beth came home. She passed away. Her dad couldn't speak about her for about a year because all Beth could say on her deathbed was, Help me, Daddy, help me. So when he thought of her, that was all that came into his mind. They struggled through it. And now, almost three years later, they can talk about her and the good times that they had with her and and thankful that God um, let them have her on this earth for 30 years. And, And they realized, too, during that time, that she was God's child. She's not, she wasn't really their child, she was God's child that he allowed them to be the custodian of while on this earth. So I challenge you young parents, because this was something that I really wasn't, I I didn't have that connect on where me and God and my child um how that was to work other than I was to um, live live a godlike life, take her to church, teach her, pray with her, bring her up in that manner. But I always looked at both of my children as my my child, my child. Your child is not yours. You're just lucky enough to be their custodian while they're here on this earth. So I want to encourage you parents, you young parents, to make that connection and to be aware of that every day. I think a parent's prayer for their children is the closest to God. So when you're praying for your children, you remember where your place is in the mix of those three.
Amen. Okay. Open your Bible this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we're going to, as I said, we're going to talk about parent-child relationship. Now, something that we need to realize is God has a plan for happiness. And if we do it God's way, life can be so much easier. We go back to the Scripture in Proverbs that says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And so we need to realize that when we're not doing it God's way, there's an area there that lends itself to transgression, and it causes life to be hard. Now, can I tell you from experience, since uh, my children's not in here, I can say this, that Loretta and I were the perfect parents. <laughs> we worked at it. Let me say it that way. We know what it's like to have children, to have them in your home as little babies up changing diapers at night, walking the floors with them because they got a tummy ache, or they're, you're standing there crying over them because they got a fever and they're delirious with that. We know how it is to see them go to school on that first day and they're not there and they're crying when you drop them off. I tell you what, old Matt, boy, we had time. I had to go sit in a room with him in kindergarten until the teacher could get him interested enough I could shoot out the door. And uh, so, and then when you go back to pick, he only went a half a day and when I go back to pick him up, he looked at me and said, I can't believe you did me that way. (laughs) (laughs) We know what it's like. We understand to see them go off to school and to be there in the classes and and things of that nature and come home. and uh, We know what it's like to have them to get to be teenagers and go through those years. And then we know what it's like for them to leave the home and go out on their own and start a new family. But I can say this with all honesty, that in spite of everything that we may have had to do as parents, we enjoyed every phase of our children's life. Every phase of it, from the point of changing diapers until the point of hearing them say, I do, in a wedding ceremony. We enjoyed it all. No, we were not the perfect parents. There were times that we missed it. And I remember saying to Matt when uh, they came to our house and Jonathan was just little, little bitty, bitty, if you could ever picture my grandson Jonathan being little bitty, he was at one point in time. And I know we'll forget saying to Matt, Matt, I uh, hope you do better than us. He said, Daddy, he said, I feel like that you gave us a starting place and we can work on it from there. So that that I feel like our goal was accomplished as far as bringing our children along and training them up according to the Word of God. Were they perfect kids? No. Are they perfect now? No. But my grandchildren are. (laughs) And one of these days, when you get to be a grandparent, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Children, this is 
to all of you. Let me, let me classify who children are here. Children are those people that still live at home that you support, parents. They're children. Okay? And this first part of this applies directly to those. Now, the second part where it says to honor your father and your mother applies to children as long as they have a father and mother on this earth. Regardless of where you go, how many kids you have in your family, where you may live, as long as you live, as long as you have a father and mother on this earth, your duty is to honor them and then to honor their name and their memory even after they're gone. So he said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now let me remind you real quick, the priorities, and we've talked about this a lot. This is something that God gave me in this outline in Scripture back in 1983. And we've been we've we've seen it. We've we've tried to live it. We've practiced it. Every time that we do a marriage counseling before marriage, we talk about these. If you and your spouse come to me with marriage difficulties, we're going to go back and look at the priorities. Because chances are, if there's difficulties in the home that persist, it's because that somewhere priorities are not being followed like they need to be. Now, this is not because I said this. But this is, this is that, like Ginger said, this is what God set out. And we know our number one priority is to have an intimate, personal, eternal relationship with our Creator. Number one, regardless of who you are, what you believe, where you may come, or come from or go to, that's your number one priority. Every person on the face of this earth, regardless, that's their number one priority. That's the reason that being out of that is so, makes life so miserable because that's not in place. Number two priority is to have an intimate, personal, till death do you part relationship with your spouse. And I know that that's not happened in every situation, but I can say this, that God's a loving God and a forgiving God. And so, uh, regardless, that is your priority. If you're married, that is your number two priority above everything else, to have an intimate, we say this again, an intimate, personal, till death do you part relationship with your spouse. We were talking before church this morning. This afternoon we're going, Loretta and I are going to a 50th wedding anniversary for brother and sister Proctor. Uh, they have been married 50 years on March the 8th. And, you know, that's tremendous. We got to talking about here in our church, there's, uh, you know, uh, in two years from now, Loretta and I will be celebrating a 50. It'll be 48 in just a couple of weeks, March the 6th. Before the, in case, you know, we like we like Cracker Barrels. And we, no, I'm just <laughs> March the sixth, we'll be married 48 years, and then Dennis and Deborah were married 48 years in December. Uh, Wayne and Connie, November, August. Y'all will be married 48 years in August. Is that see? And Bill and Kathleen, 42, 43. Uh, Mary and Debbie, 41, 42, and so. And Joyce, 48, see there? What I'm talking about, folks, is if this is a death-do-you-part relationship, situation. And that's what we, that we set it to. But number three priority is to have an intimate, 
personal till they leave home relationship with your children. Now that brings it back to where as long as they live in your home, you have parental responsibility and duty over them. So this is we want to talk about some of these things here. As I said earlier, children, as it's talking about here, obeying your parents to those that still live at your home, honoring your parents is a lifetime thing that you never grow out of. So we need to remember that. And we also need to remember that, that this is the first commandment with promise. If you look in Genesis, I mean Exodus rather, chapter 20, verse 12, if you'll notice that he gave four commandments concerning our relationship with God. The first four, if you used to take time to read those, first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last five commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. But the fifth commandment has to do with our relationship with, all my, with, with our parents. Honor your father and your mother that, that your days may be long upon the earth in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So that's, that's a commandment. Children, you can't get by any other way. I want you to notice that Paul said, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And, and a lot of kids say, well, I don't think that's God. It don't matter what you think. What it says here is that when you obey your parents, God's pleased with it. Okay? What if they tell me to do something wrong? I don't believe anybody in this room has got a parent to tell them to do something wrong. So we're not even going to deal with that right there, okay? But I will say this. If your parents try to get you to worship some other god, if they try to get you to rob somebody, murder somebody, steal from somebody, or whatever ever those to 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 uh, to steal from your neighbor, then there's there's a way that you're going to have to deal with that, and that's before Almighty God. But like I said, I don't believe we have parents, so why should we even ask that question? You know, so we want to move on from there. Now, when we come on down in Ephesians chapter six. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, the word for father there in the Greek is a singular. It's singular, meaning father. Father. Honor your father and your mother. But when you see the word fathers in verse 4, it comes from plural word, and it's not just talking about a whole lot of fathers. A lot of times it's actually translated meaning father and mother. So when we come to this part of verse 4, and we're going to deal with the parents first, you fathers and mothers, provoke not your children to wrath. Fathers and mothers. See, a lot of times we have always thought that this was a father's thing and the mother could get by with it. You know, all, all the discipline laid on the father. He's supposed to do all that, all the correction and everything, you know. And he wasn't supposed to make the children mad. Well, there's a truth to that. But as we look in the original Greek, it's telling us that fathers and mothers both are involved in this and have a responsibility together in this. See, uh, dear ladies, you were made to be a helpmate, someone to help and assist your husband. If the Lord had let me preach the message last Sunday that I was going to preach about husband and wife relationships, and I, I mean, he had something more important. We all agree, don't we? But anyhow, in that, I was going to share with you that what did Adam need help with? 
Think about it. He had already named all the animals. He had already done all this stuff. He had already started taking care of the garden. But he needed help of eating from the tree of life. But we know Satan got involved in that arrangement and he got help eating from the tree of, of, of good and evil. But he, he needed help. So, ladies, God has made you to be a help to your husbands. And husbands, God has made you to be a help to your wife. And you together are a team. A team working together. And when it comes to your children, that's the way that it needs to be. It's both parents' duties to work together to accomplish Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, To train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, this word train is something that we need to think about for just a moment. Because train, uh, it, it denotes an effort taking place. It's just like anything else that you uh, would have, it takes effort to train it. You take a puppy dog, it takes effort to housebreak it. Don't it? It takes effort to do things. People, and I'm not equating people with puppy dogs, don't get me wrong, but we also know there's another scripture in the book of Proverbs that says a child that's left to itself will come to nothing. So there's a responsibility, a parental responsibility, husbands and wives together to train that child. But it's interesting to note in the Hebrew, this word train, it means discipline, it means to teach, but it also means to dedicate. Now think about that. Dedicate a child to the way that they should go, and when they grow old, they'll not depart from it. And as we're talking about the Hebrew, the Hebrew of this verse says, to train or dedicate a child in the way they should grow, go, and as they're growing old, they will not depart from it. Now, uh, that's a promise that Loretta and I committed to uh, when our children were just little. We had the privilege of going to a marriage seminar. Now, we weren't having marriage problems. We just went to this seminar because we wanted information. We wanted to glean what we could. And I'll, I'll tell you this, it helped our marriage. It, it did. And that was in 1983. We went, it was in Columbia, South Carolina that we went to it. And I don't remember who was speaking, but it made an impression on me in a lot of ways. And one thing that did is this, that's the first time I had ever heard Proverbs 22.6 translated from the Hebrew language that said, Here's the, here is the best promise. Now, I want you to understand that there is a promise involved that, well, you do the best you can, and then you'll treat them, train them all you can, and then if they depart from it, they will come back. Now, there is there's a, a, an element of promise and truth in that. And, and if you felt like you did the best you could and your child has gone wayward, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Don't feel down and say, well, I guess it's all my fault. Well, in one sense of the word it may be, but if they're of age, if they're on their own, now it's their fault. Did you hear me, mamas and daddies? If they're, they cannot today, if they're 30 years old, say, boy, my mama just didn't raise me right. Well, she may have faltered in some areas, but buddy, now it's your responsibility. Anyway, we, have, we got a hold of that. To train up a child in the way they should go, and as they're growing old, they'll not depart from it. We grabbed a hold of that, and you can do that for your children today too. And say, I'm going to train my child, I'm going to dedicate my child and myself 
to bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to train them, to dedicate them to that, and to, and to walk in that. And, and let me tell you something, mamas and daddies, as you do that, you're going to understand that you're going to do more to train those children more by example than you are by word out of your mouth. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we want to go back to there. I want you to notice he starts out that, you fathers, meaning mother, father and mother, provoke not your children to wrath. Provoke not. Incite. Give, give them reason to go off on you or somebody else. Now, it's our responsibility as parents to do everything we can not to cause our children to turn out to be wrathful, wrath, not rascals, wrathful people, okay? We don't want them to be rascals either, right? Because rascals are usually wrathful. Uh, how do we provoke our children? Now, here's something that we need to think about. Let me tell you, when you, when you discipline your child according to the Word of God, and I, I, I don't have time to get over into all of that, we all know that you're supposed to, now listen to me, children. Mamas and daddies are supposed to whip you every night before you go to bed and every morning when you get up. Wrong. <laughs> I've heard folks saying it just gets me. My daddy whipped me every morning whether I needed it or not. Boy, if I knew I had that coming, I wouldn't have slept. <laughs> there was times that my daddy whipped me that I didn't think I deserved it at that time, but as I look back on it, I realize I did. He did a, you know, he didn't, he never, he never did nothing that wasn't necessary. So anyway, how do you provoke your children to wrath? First of all, by example. Now think about this. I want to ask you a question. What kind of an example are you and the people your children are around setting for those children? Children look at adults. They look at role models. They look at people older than them. So what kind of example are we setting for our children? And if we're setting a wrathful kind of example, then that's uh, what the children are going to say. What are we teaching by our example? By what we do, what we say, where we go, what we read. See, now here's, here's some, I, of course, this, this list could almost be uh, exhaustive, but we're going to just put a few in here. Number one is by always losing your temper. And now, now let me say this to you, children. Don't sit there and say, get them, get them, get them. Get them. Yeah, my dad, my mom needs to hear that. No, 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 don't do that. Listen for yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> losing your temper. Now, I'm going to tell you, because I may raise my voice at my children and stomp my foot does not mean that I'm mad. We're going to see in a minute there's times that that you need to teach your children to pay attention. But sometimes to teach them to pay attention, you've got to get their attention. Right? So don't think, if, if, your, if your mama comes and says, Did not I tell you? And you don't look at her and say, What are you so mad at me for? No. She's trying to get your attention. Your daddy's the same way. Now, I know things can be carried too far, but y'all listen to me now. We're going to balance this out. Here, here's another thing. Parents, you make your children wrathful when you never make a decision. Well, I don't know, I don't know. Ask me later, I don't know. You know, Go ask your mama, go ask your daddy. You know, Never make a decision. After a while, they get frustrated. 
And this kind of thing builds up in them. And here's another thing, is, is never sticking with a decision once it's made. Make a decision. I'm going to ground you. And after a while, you just get to feeling so sorry for that child. Oh, man, they, they ain't got their iPhone right now. And all their friends got their iPhones. And, okay, I'm going to let you have it for an hour. We make decisions, but we don't stick with them. And not only in the area of discipline, but in the area of other things that we may, that we may promise our children that we're going to do, and that promise somehow never comes to pass. Uh, I know that I was guilty of that from time to time, uh, especially with Mark, because Mark would want to go fishing, and I'd tell him we'd go later, and somehow or another, a lot of those times, later never came. That was my fault. Now then, he better not ask me to take him fishing. We're going to take off work and go. <laughs> Another way that you cause your children to be wrathful is by griping and complaining and criticizing others. Griping and complaining all the time. Parents, we don't need to do that. Because I'm going to tell you, if you gripe and complain, your children's going to gripe and complain. And if they don't gripe and complain at home where they can, you can hear them, they're going to do it at school. They're going to do it around their friends. They're going to criticize. Do you know children, sometimes children learn things on their own. And, and we can be the best parents in the world, but sometimes they're still going to pick up some stuff because it's been said time and time again, we don't have to teach our children to do wrong. But we don't need to help them <laughs> learn it either. Always looking at the dark side of everything. I'm talking about what kind of, uh, of uh, example are we setting. Never see good in anything. Everything's always negative. Everything's always the other side. And especially things that they do. I mean, they do good, and, you, and, and, and if we don't watch it, next thing is, well, why didn't you do better? You could have done this. You could have done that. So we, don't, we need to get past looking on the dark side. If a child does wrong, we need to call their attention to it, and we need to help them through that thing, and then move on from it. Not just continually beat on it and beat on it and beat on it. You, you should never look at your child and say, you never clean up your room. You know what they're going to do? They're going to sit there at you and say, yep, you're right. Never do. Had until now and won't from this point on. So we need, to, we need to be different. Now, let me tell you something. Another way that we make our children wrathful is never giving them affirmation. Because to some parents, no matter how good their children do, it's never good enough. Never good enough. And, and, and in the air of sports, we do this way. Child can hit a home run. Well, why didn't you hit that other ball over the fence? You know? Or child come in and clean up the room. Hey, look, Mom, I cleaned up my room. Why didn't you do that yesterday? If you don't keep it cleaned up, it'll be dirty again tomorrow. Those kind of things. We need to give them affirmation. When you see your child do something good, regardless how little it may be, you need to, to congratulate them on that. You need to affirm them in that thing. Because let me tell you something. They go to other places and they don't get it. The school don't give them that much affirmation. Matter of fact, the school and, and some of the teachers, bless their hearts, and I love them. And, but they never hardly ever give an affirmation. Many of them do. Don't get me wrong, but there's some that don't. 
And, and some people, it's sort of like on your job, you know. Some, some foremans you cannot satisfy. Don't care what you do, they're never going to give you an affirmation. But we don't have to be that way at home with our children. I mean, if, if they walk, if they throw their pencil on the floor instead of walking off and leave it there, they reach down and pick that pencil up, you ought to tell them, that a way to go. Good. You're doing good. Affirm our children so that they'll understand and know. All right? Now, we also cause them to be wrathful by things that we allow. Setting them in front of a violent movie or a violent video game. A video game that's full of violence, killing, murder. You know that, that one thing that they're finding out about all of these folks that's doing mass murders now, especially kids that are going in and shooting up schools, it is the fact that they have just grown callous to death. And death means absolutely nothing to them because they're so involved in video games. The fellow that shot up the theater in, in uh, Colorado a few years ago said with his own self that he was just play-acting what he saw and did on a video game. He went to the movie theater and did it there. Let me tell you something, folks. You need to be very cautious about what you allow your children to see what you allow them to listen to, what you allow them to be involved in. And, and, and another thing, too, is to set them in front of a movie with questionable adult content or let them to listen to their music. You don't need to, if it's their music, you need to be tuned in to what their music is because there's so much stuff that's put into kids' heads from that. Uh, you know, uh, I, I joke that, the reason I go to ball games is so I can listen to this rap rock music and all that kind of stuff because so many ball games they play it and it's just so loud that you can't think or talk. And I, I jokingly say, boy, I'm glad I got to come so I could listen to this music because I can't listen to it on my own any other time. But sometimes it's just nauseating some of the stuff that they play and the things that young people are listening to. If you don't know what your child is listening to, on their iPhone, iPad, iPod, laptop, or whatever, you need to do a check and find out what they're listening to. You need to, to, to check and find out what they're watching on that thing when you're not there. I get sort of suspicious and whenever a, a child has got their iPhone out and they're doing something, you walk around and they close it down, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It sort of makes me suspicious. And doing what substitute teaching I have at school, sometimes they let them use their phones to do their work on and I just i can't i just that amazes me that they can do their work log into a certain place they can do their work right on their iphone or chromebook or whatever on the chromebook they can't get any junk but on their telephone they can and there's been several of them that i've walked around and they'd be sitting there and thinking they're doing work and i walk around and oh, what are you doing i'm doing my work see we need to be careful. We need to be concerned about what's going on. And then things that we, times we teach them to be wrathful. We do this by example. By example. Talking about how we're going to get somebody, what we're going to do to them, this, this kind of thing. Uh, philosophies we share. This whole thing about, uh, you know, you need to take, take up for yourself. Well, there's a certain truth to that. But taking up yourself, don't get over into the area of bullying, bullying somebody. So there needs to be a balance to that. 
as you're taught. See, certain behaviors that we allow that does not show forth the love of Christ, things that make them to be wrathful. Are y'all ready for me to quit? We're going to go a little bit further. Now we're going to try to get on. Now that I've raked you over real good, we're going to try to get on the positive side of this thing and help us understand some things. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, in the Amplified Bible, Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. But, now listen to this, I like this part where it says this, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and counsel and admonition of the Lord. Did we find that message part of that? All right, well, let me tell you, that last part of that verse from the Message Bible says, Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master. Now we come to a part that this we shouldn't do, but now then things that we need to do. Do you know God said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, He he said He was going to go down and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And He made this statement. He said, for Abraham, He said, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after them, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And that's talking about how he would bless him and that his seed would bless all the nations of the world. That's what he had told him, that they was going to have a child. And so he said, I know Abraham. In other words, he's saying, I can trust Abraham, that Abraham is going to teach his children and his children's children the way of the Lord. And I was thinking about this this week. And I wrote a little note out here. Can God say the same thing about me? And I, you know, I had to stop and think about that. Can God say the same thing about me? I taught my children, but what about my grandchildren? You know, He said that He'll teach His children and His grandchildren that they can understand the way of the Lord. Now, grandparents, it's important for us to understand that we need to teach our grandchildren. Back there, I was talking about affirmation and. I thought about, I think one reason that children love grandparents so much is because that grandparents usually speak affirmation to them because everything's okay. Isn't it? I mean, I'm not talking about isn't it about that's what we say, but isn't everything grandchildren do okay? I mean, how many grandparents we got in here? I know we got a few. Come on, y'all help me out now. Parents looking at me with sharp eyes, so y'all help me out. <laughs> but could God say the same thing about me? What about you? Could God say that about you? Could God look at you and say, I got something I'm going to sh- share with you. I can trust you because I know that you're going to train your children and your children's children. You're going to teach them right, and you're going to help them know. See, this kind of thing, it, we have to make a decision. Parents have to make a decision. Children will come to the point to where they make a decision. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, they had come to settle in the land. And Joshua had got the people out here. I mean, God had did all of these things, all of these wonderful miracles, time after time after time in their deliverance and in their wilderness journey and bringing them into the promised land to settle the promised land. But yet, Many of them had got to the point to where they said, well, you know, these, uh, these gods that they're worshiping here in this land, they seem to be pretty good. And because they appealed to the fleshly part. See, the gods of those, all of those Canaanites there appealed to, appealed to the flesh because they were built around uh, large feasts. 
drunkenness and, and promiscuous. They were very sexual in their uh, worship of their gods. So all of it appealed to the flesh. And so here these Israelites, were, instead of driving these people out and destroying these idols and gods, they were involved and in partaking in those things with them. So, so Joshua got them all together, got all the leaders together. And he said to them, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But listen to the decision Joshua made. But as for me and my house, me and my family, we will serve the Lord. A decision, folks, that you and I have to make. Choose what kind of family life we're going to have. Is it going to be a godly family life or a worldly family life? And, and so there's some things we can do. But now here's something we've got to understand. We can't make other families serve the Lord. We can't do that. Uh, I've known families over the years, some I'm working with right now, that just seem like that they're intent on, for some reason or another, not serving the Lord. I can't make anybody, I can't make you serve the Lord. I can't make you come to church. I can't do anything. I can't make you. But here's the thing that we should do. we got to encourage them. Joshua said, if you want to go do that, you go do that. But you know what's happen if you read the next verses he says you know what's going to happen if you do that but he said listen i want to encourage you make this same decision for me and my family we're going to serve the lord see i can't make that decision for wayne simmons or or eric valentine or bradley fitzgerald i can make that decision for david carroll and his family though and then set myself to see that my children and, and my wife, as we work together, come in line with that kind of thing. Moses said to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 10, verse 9, Pharaoh had told him, first of all, said, you can't take your cattle. And they said, we got to. And then he said, you can't take your children. He said, we got to. So in, in chapter 10 of Exodus, verse, uh, he had said, all right, I'm going to let you go, but who will go? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds, will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. In other words, he said, we're going to take, he said, Pharaoh, here is our determination. Here's our dedication. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take everything about us, all of our families, everything about us as far as physical stuff goes, we're going to take all of this, and we're going to rise up from this place, and we're going to go serve the Lord. That was his word to him. We're going to serve the Lord. And, and, and let me tell you something, folks. In your family, I don't care how old your children are, if they're still at home, it's not too late to make that decision. We're going to serve the Lord. And our service to the Lord is going to be more than just getting up on Sunday and going to church, but it's going to include getting up on Sunday and going to church. See, that's, that's one decision that, that never did come up at our house. And I know I was a preacher and pastor, but it was never discussed. On Sunday, uh, can I stay at home today? Nope. That was never discussed because they knew that this is part of our serving the Lord and being a godly family. Now, I pastored all the years of my children's life, even up till now, all except one year. And that one year, we still, on Sunday morning, got up and went to church, and it was never a discussion about, well, I think I'll stay at home today. I think i got something else to do. No, that was a decision that we made. All of it. 
Everything that we've ever had, we, we want to put it in the service of the Lord. Our children, we dedicated them at an early age and endeavored to raise them up because this thing of Joshua echoed in me. As for me and my house, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I like the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. I like this. I know other translations got it different. I like this in the King James Version. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 through 21 says, Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and your soul and bind them for sign upon your hand that they may be as frontless between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking to them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house, upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children and the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Think about that. Think about it training your children to the point to where that you don't have to lay awake at night wondering where they are and what they're doing. Think about that when they leave, you know that God's angels are surrounding them and they're making right decisions and, and being involved in the right things. One thing that's hindered us from experiencing the days on earth is I found this article was sent to me in an email. Wasn't on Facebook. You may have heard this, but let me read this to you and talking about the influences and things. A few years after I was born, and this is this could be my testimony, really. A few years after I was born, my dad made a, met a stranger who was new to our small town. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with his enchanting this enchanting newcomer, and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around from then on. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in my family. In my young mind, I had a special niche. He had a special niche. My parents never, my parents were complimentary instructors. Mom taught me good from evil, and Dad taught me to obey. But the stranger, he was our storyteller. He would keep us spellbound for hours on end with adventures and mysteries and comedies. If I wanted to know anything about politics, history, or science, he always knew the answer about the past, understood the present, and even seemed able to predict the future. He took my family to the first Major League ball game. He made me laugh. He made me cry. The stranger never ta stopped talking, but Dad didn't seem to mind. Sometimes Mom would get up quietly and while the rest of us were shushing each other to listen to what he had to say, and she'd go to the kitchen for peace and quiet, and I wonder now if she ever prayed for the stranger to leave. Dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt obligated to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our home, not from us, our friends, or any visitors. But our longtime visitor, however, got away with four-letter words that burned our ears and made my dad squirm and my mother blush. My dad didn't permit the liberal use of alcohol, but the stranger encouraged us to try it on a regular basis. He made cigarettes look cool, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, much too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive and generally embarrassing. I now know that my early concepts about relationships were influenced strongly by the stranger. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 50 years have passed since that stranger moved in with our family. He has blended, in, he has blended right in and is not nearly as fascinating as he was at first. Still, if you could walk into my parents' den today, 
you would still find him sitting over in his corner waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. His name? We just called him TV. He's a wife. He has a wife now. We call her computer. Their first child is named cell phone. Second child, iPod. And just born a few years ago with a grandchild named iPad. Oh my. How true this is. We need to teach our children to pay attention, mamas and daddies. Like I said earlier, sometimes we have to get their attention. Now, here's something that you need to instruct your children in. They can either avoid something uncomfortable and very unpleasant, or they can participate in something that is fun. Both can be effective. And what that means is this. There's times to get their attention that a carrot out in front, a piece of cake, some honey, you know that saying, honey catches more flies than vinegar. Some reward to get their attention is sometimes as good as a good swift little hickory rod. But there's times the hickory rod has to be applied. But regardless, we need to get their attention so that we can teach them the things of God and help them understand the things that they need to do. See, we need to teach them obedience and submission by how we react to God. And just a list of things that we need to teach our children. And young people, you listen to this too because it's important. We need to teach the children what the Word says. Our thought should be that I take God's Word and put it first place and make it final authority. What the Word of God says is how we're going to go in this. The importance of relationship with God. The importance of salvation that's found nowhere else except in Christ Jesus. We need to teach our children how to worship and praise the Lord. By doing that, again, by example. We need to teach them how to pray. God is great, God is good, is good for a while, but they need to get past that at a point in time. Now lay me down to sleep as effective as little children, but we need to teach them how to pray and expand that a prayer on from themselves and mommy and daddy and brother and sister to the world around them and help them understand that. Help them understand that God's a real God, not a figment of the imagination. We need to teach them how to witness. All of our children know lost children that don't know Jesus. And just like the young woman that Ginger talked about came to that point in her life to where nobody had ever told her about Jesus before or how to get right with God. And if we'd train our children to to be able to share that with with a classmate, a friend that needs Jesus, then then how much how wonderful that would be when they could come together and grow up together. We need to teach them how to brag on God because there's enough stuff that where people put God down. To a lot of people in the world's terminology that, that God is causing all of this stuff. It's His fault. It's His fault that the kids and teachers was killed in Florida. It's His fault that somebody's child died. God, God did that. God could have stopped that. God could have prevented that. And we need to teach our young people how to brag on God. Just like a... a, a a child brags on his daddy or on his mother. And they need to hear us brag on God so that they can uh, 
in turn brag on uh, God also. We need to teach them how to be a giver. Normally speaking, children are selfish. We need to teach them how to be a giver. We need to instruct them in the way of tithing. Do you know that unless we do, that there'll come a point in time that there'll be a generation that that there will not be tithing and the church will not have what it needs to exist on and the kingdom of God being furthered on this earth will be hampered. God has a plan for furthering the gospel on this earth and it's through us giving to Him. We need to teach that to our children. Children need to learn when they're little. If they get an allowance, they need to tithe off of that. If they get money, they need to tithe off of that. And then when they get a job, go to work, they, whatever they make, they need to tithe off of that. But, and if, but so many times people don't teach their children that uh, because they're not involved in it themselves. But we, we don't need to think, well, one of these days, I mean, my goodness, preacher, I was 30 years old before I knew I was supposed to tithe. But think about how much different it would be now if you had been taught that as a child and brought along in that way. People say, well, this thing about tithing, I just wasn't taught that when I was growing up. But we know the difference now, and we need to teach it, practice it, and teach it, and teach it to our children. Now, folks, this, this list is, is on and on and on. But these things I've talked about here is, is taking them by the hand and leading them in the way of the Master. Bringing those children along, just like you would run to them at night in a dark room and calm their fears. Then it's teaching them the Word of God so that they can overcome their fears. Folks, if it don't work God's way, it's not going to work. And, and, and I've not shared all of these things with you because this is the way we did and we're so great. Now, it's like I told you before. There's places we missed it. There's areas that we failed in. And, and, and I look back now and I wish that I had them to where I could do this thing again sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not praying to God for all of our children to come back home. Uh, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. So we can't, we can't go back and change things and redo something that wasn't done or, or undo something that was done, but we can pick up now and begin to do what we need to from this point on and make a difference in our life. Amen? God's so good, isn't He? Thank you. Y'all bow your heads with me for a moment.